It's a Monday mailbag, and we've got your questions, including, is Lazaro Montez the next Jordan Alvarez? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use promo code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So as we do every single Monday, the mailbag, the subtext mailbag full of questions from listeners. Not all, but most of these came from subscribers to our subtext. So if you want access to that, as well as exclusive access to my prospect rankings, everything else like that, links in the episode description, links in the show notes. First one comes from Zach via subtext, and he asks about outfielder Lazaro Montez. Says he sees a lot of Jordan Alvarez in the swing and wants to know my outlook on him. And he sent along a tweet that had a a video of a breakdown of Lazaro's swing and comparing it to comparing it to Jordan Alvarez. And because we do this on both audio and video, I'm going to play the swing for you on video and then I'll link it on the audio page on the show notes so you can see it. But when you watch the swing, It absolutely looks a lot like Jordan Alvarez. And part of the reason this swing looks so much like Jordan Alvarez is because when Montez, who grew up in Cuba, like when he moved to the Dominican to train before uh, becoming a 2022 free agent for the Mariners, he trained with Aldo Ramirez, the hitting instructor who trained Jordan Alvarez. So he learned a proper baseball swing from the guy that taught Jordan Alvarez his baseball swing. And the similarities between the two make a lot of sense, right? And it's not just the swing being similar, but it's what they do. So uh, Montez this year, 51 games combined between rookie ball and A ball with the Modesto Nuts. Uh, 305, 453, 617, 11 home runs, 28 extra base hits, 42 walks, 250 strikeouts, and one for three on stolen bases. The story on Montez going into this year was his strikeout rate was really bad against not very good pitching. Uh, He was in the DSL last year. He hit 10 home runs. He struck out about one-third of the time, and the DSL is never known for the quality of the pitching. And so... There was a little bit of hesitation about where he was going to be on prospect rankings when he came stateside this year. And it was a lot of, well, we'll acknowledge the raw powers in 80 grade, but we're going to wait to move him up on the prospect rankings until we see how he does offensively. Uh, and he had a lot, of, a lot of holes in the swing up in the zone, right? He was really good at fastballs, really good at breaking balls. Anything that was like waist high he struggled with. He's closed a lot of those holes, not quite everything, but he's done a lot of work to get better at making contact 
with the bat. So his strikeout rate this year is down from 33% to 24. So dropped it by 9% despite moving from the DSL to rookie ball and then to low A Modesto. Now, the numbers in rookie ball, the batting average wasn't mind-blowing. 282, 452, 555 was the slash line. Six home runs, 17 extra base hits, and he struck out 37 times in 37 games, so right where you expected. His two weeks in Modesto, or two 14 games, so just over two weeks because they're off every Monday, 351, 456, 737. Five home runs, 11 extra base hits, nine walks to 13 strikeouts. The big thing that's fueling the strikeout rate coming down is it's the swing and miss, right? And it's not necessarily, when he makes contact, he's making pretty optimal contact. The thing was the ability to make contact, right? His contact rate this year is up 12% to 73.9. Still a little bit lower than where you'd like it to be, but a lot better than where it was as of last year. So I like the idea of Lazaro Montez as a high ceiling, low floor, future DH. He, similar to Jordan, he has gotten okay in the corner as far as like his glove and things like that, but the speed is not great. The arm is not great. Speed's probably 30 grade, arm's probably 40 grade or so, and he can play left field. Not going to cover a ton of ground in left field. He's It's going to be like Kyle Schwarber, where yes, he can play left field. Like technically he can take the field in left defensively, but he's not going to be very good out there. And so the ideal place to put him is DH. And we'll see defense does get better as guys move up in the farm system. So we'll see what happens. But the reason he reminds Zach so much of Jordan Alvarez is because the guy who trained Jordan Alvarez trained Lazaro Montez. And because of that's why the swing is virtually identical. Jeremy, another question on subtext, asked about Jet Williams of the Mets now that he's moved from A-ball to high A. So reminder, 2022 first rounder out of high school, has been playing both shortstop and outfield, and had 79 games in single A for the Mets. 249, 422, 410, six home runs, 24 extra base hits. Six of those were triples. Speed's a big thing of this game here. 69 walks to 76 strikeouts and 32 of 38 on stolen bases. He is a plus defender. You can see the stolen base numbers. And since going to high A, it's a small sample, 17 games, but 293, 446, 517. He stepped everything up. The, on, the, the batting average went up 40 plus points. The on base went up 25 points. The slugging went up 100 points. Two home runs and nine extra base hits in 17 games, 15 walks to 15 strikeouts, seven of eight on stolen bases. They've used him in both shortstop and the outfield. 71 starts at short, 17 in center, and eight as a DH. Honestly, because his arm is only necessarily average and the defense is average, I think he's probably going to ultimately be a second baseman with the ability to kick him out to the outfield, which You've got a guy like that on the Mets right now. Feels like he's your next option to come and do something like that. Uh, The range is 
would be plus for second base. It's probably just going to be average at best for short, but for second base, it's going to be plus. And his hands are good enough where he can do everything. But he is an offensive first player, right? Power ceiling probably has a cap on it. The fact that he's five, he's listed on baseball reference as five, six. A lot of the stuff I've seen for him says he's five, eight. He is only 19 years old. He turns 20 in November. So there's physical development. You can obviously still project here, but it still feels like a 40 grade on the power is probably, is probably the ceiling, maybe a 45. But either way, you're looking at a plus hitter who maximizes when he does make contact. And that's where a lot of the power comes from. Really good on base ability. And by plus hitter, 80% contact at age 19 in the lower minors. So already really good contact. I don't have zone contact because it's on a stack, it wasn't stat cast parks, but we have contact rate overall and it's over 80%. On base ability is really good. Some of the work he needs to do, he's a really good, he's a really good base runner, running from first to third, things like that. He's had good stolen base numbers, 39 to 46, but I do still think there's some technique work that he can do there. And a lot of that's going to come down to having a better opportunity to watch film and scout how some of these pitchers hold runners, their timing to the plate and that kind of stuff. He seems to get better later in the games at picking that stuff up. And so I do think his ceiling in the bigs as a base stealer is probably better than what it looks like it might be right now because so much of it feels like he's going to have a chance to get the mental side of the base stealing down and not just running on, like, not just relying on instincts and reaction, but actually having the info behind it. So Jet Williams doing really well, really excited about what he can be for the Mets and projecting forward him versus Acuna at second base will be an interesting conversation and him having the flexibility to go out and play center field, which again, he's done 17 times this year. He did it as a prepster. Uh, That'll be useful for the future configuration of the New York Mets as they look to contend in 2026 or so. In just a minute, I've got uh, some more questions about the Rays and actually the Mets getting together for a trade, as well as more of the Carson William conversation we had next week. And we'll get to that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite event should not be stressful, and that's why Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all of these sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. They got killer dig- They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets. They've got the best price guarantee, so you don't have to stress out about tickets. You can just look forward to the event that you're going to watch. The game time guarantee means you will always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. They'll credit you 110% of the difference. They show you an image of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what the view looks like from where you're sitting. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds with just a couple taps on your phone, and the tickets are sent directly to you, not to your email. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. So, snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. 
Mark in our Discord asked about Carson Williams. We talked last week on the Rays show about Carson Williams getting skipped over from AA and going straight from high A to AAA. And if you missed that episode, I'll link it in the show notes or on YouTube right here. So you can click that and go watch that. And Mark asks, like, specifically, offensively, what does Carson Williams need to work on? I talked about him being probably the best defensive infielder that they have in that system. But what's the question as far as this is what he still needs to do to be ready to play in the majors? And I think the big part of it is the contact rate, right? He doesn't have a large enough sample in AAA for me to even pay attention to what he did in AAA. It's just not fair to him for that sample. But looking at in high A, so the averages for everybody in high A, not just rated prospects, but for everybody in high A, is 24.8% strikeout rate and 72.1% contact rate, okay? Carson Williams had a 31.1% strikeout rate, 6.5% worse than average, and a contact rate of only 69.8%. And again, these are his numbers for high A. This is not... This is not just top prospects. This is everybody in high A. And he's still below average at both contact and strikeout rate. That's why, one, I don't expect Carson Williams to stay in AAA. It really feels like the reason he was sent up to AAA was because he's such a good defender that if there's another injury or two at the major league level, while you're already... Uh, missing Taylor Walls with injury while Wander Franco is out for however long that's going to be, which looks like it could be for a while. We're not going to get too much into that on this show. Uh, You have a competent option who can give you good defense at shortstop in an absolute emergency. I still think when Taylor Walls comes back or somebody else is healthy, that Carson Williams probably gets moves back down in the minors to continue developing unless he's just so phenomenal with the bat in AAA that they leave him. But it just doesn't feel like that's very likely. Now, uh, Pete on YouTube, Everydayer, shout out to Pete. Love listening to that. If you're an Everydayer, let us know in the comments. Uh, you know, drop it in there. I'm going to try to make sure we, you know, we shout you guys out every day for coming in, being in the comments, participating in the show. But uh, Pete asked, is there a possibility that the Rays and Mets get together on a trade? And it, it, some of this was because I mentioned not being super high on Kevin Parada as a catching prospect. I had him, I think, number 10 in my organizational rankings, and it was because I don't think he sticks behind the plate. I think Kevin Parada ends up having to move to first base or something like that. And so he threw out a trade where he said, what if the Rays trade Tyler Glasnow and outfielder Manny Margot to the Mets? And in return... The Rays get pitcher Blade Tidwell, catcher Kevin Parada, and outfielder, he said Ryan Clifford or Alex Ramirez, but I think Clifford's going to stay at first base, and I went ahead and put Ramirez in there. Now, not everybody believes in the usefulness of baseball trade values, the website baseball trade values, where they assign a dollar figure to every single player in prospect, could be positive or negative. And then they weigh a, tra- a proposed trade 
by looking at those dollar figures and seeing how the values line up between each team. Now, obviously, the flaw here is different organizations will value different players to, to different amounts based on their valuations versus the site's evaluations. It's not a perfect tool, but it gives you an idea, right? So when you combine Kevin Parada, Alex Ramirez, and Blade Tidwell, you get $41.2 million of value, right? Now, Tyler Glasnow comes out to 57.1 by himself, and Manny Margot actually comes out negative 1.1. So his return, the, the war versus the contract he's being paid and all of that, they have him valued negative. So it ends up 41.2 value from the raise and 56 or to the raise and 56 value to the Mets. According to their model, this is an overpay to get those players. Now, I think the real reason that this may not work out is, believe it or not, it's not the injury issues with Glasnow and, and Margot. It's the contract status. So when the Mets sold at the deadline, they talked to Max Scherzer, who went straight to the media and explained this. And then they later came back around and talked to the media themselves. And they said, like, they were reallocating resources. Their thought process was, we are going to be competitive. We are shooting for 2025 and 2026. Uh, and they said 26 is more likely than 25 as far as back to their next competitive window. Gives you a chance to get your pitchers up. Gives you a chance to get some of these guys like Acuna, like maybe a Clifford, you know, to the bigs. And contract-wise, both Tyler and Manny don't work out with that. Tyler's contract, $5.3 million for the rest of this year. And then $25 million for next year. And he's an unrestricted free agent at the age of 31 in 2025. The time you're not planning on being competitive is when you have him for a healthy dollar figure. And then you lose him at what you think could be the opening of your competitive window in 2025. Now, could you always trade him in 2024 as an expiring deal at the deadline for prospects? You absolutely could. And I'm of the opinion that every single non-contending team should sign a couple veterans for their bullpen and or their rotation to one-year deals with the expressed intention of flipping them at the deadline. There's no reason you can't do that. They can mentor your young guys. You can flip them at the deadline, get assets for them. It's the same as buying prospects. Manny Margot's contract status, $7 million this year, $10 million in 2024. And then he has a $12 million mutual option for 2025 with a $2 million buyout. So he's guaranteed to get that $2 million because either both sides have to agree to pick up the mutual option or the Mets pay him a $2 million buyout. If I think that's if neither side picks up the option, he gets the buy. He's guaranteed the buyout either way. And it's so rare to see both a team and a player pick up a mutual option. Because typically, if the player's willing to do it, that means they don't think they can get more money on the free agent market. And if the player thinks that, the team typically thinks that they could get that equivalent production for less on the free agent market. And there's absolutely scenarios where that can be picked up by both sides. It's like giving a qualifying offer to somebody and they turn around and accept your qualifying offer. Same idea there, right? But I think ultimately, the timelines of contractual control 
are probably why you don't see that deal happen. And then the fact that the Mets have made a lot of emphasis and spent a lot of money looking at the Scherzer and Verlander trades to get a good farm system, to give themselves uh, some position player options and some pitching options. And it feels like the last thing they're going to do is trade some of those away before those guys have a chance to make the big league team better. So it feels out of character that they would do that, but we'll see what happens. In just a minute, I've got questions about a catcher with the Angels, an outfielder with the Astros, and a pitcher with the Cubs. And we'll get to those next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. All right, Greg on Twitter asked about right-hand pitcher Michael Arias of the Cubs. 2018 IFA by the Blue Jays as a shortstop. Really interesting story here for Michael Arias. And had a, he's had a great year. He was one of the breakout prospects in that Cubs system. And we're doing the Cubs rankings later this week. So he will be in that show as well. But he was cut in 2020 by Toronto because he was not working out as a shortstop. The Cubs signed him in 2021. He is a reliever for them down in the Dominican. That is where he is working on uh, converting to pitching. They move him to a starter in the complex league last year. So in 2022, and then now he has split between single A Myrtle Beach and high A South Bend. Combined numbers here, really good in, in Myrtle Beach, struggled a little bit in South Bend. Okay. So combined one and seven with a 393 ERA in 18 games. 98 strikeouts in 68 and two-thirds innings, which comes out to 12.8 strikeouts per nine, 243 walks, which is 5.6 walks per nine, and two home runs allowed. Now, again, struggled a bit in high A South Bend, 0-3, 6.15 ERA in seven starts, and some of that issue is, is the walks have ticked up to 6.2 walks per nine innings. Strikeout rate came down by about two strikeouts per nine, Walk rate ticked up by about a full walk per nine from 5.3 in Myrtle Beach to 6.2 in high A. But the stuff is really good. Throws both four seamers and two seamers. Sits 96, 90, 96 or so. Can touch 98. The four seamers got some good arm side run to it. The two seamer, absolute weapon. Down and in to righties. It's, it's a ridiculous pitch. I love watching his stuff in general, but especially that. The slider, just like you always see from these Cubs teams, it's a gyro slider. It has some vertical break to it. And then the changeup has arm side run similar to that two-seamer, but obviously at a different velocity. I really like both the slider and the changeup. I would love to see something that did more break in on a lefty. I would love to see something. I don't know if you try to add a sweeper into there and get him to throw two different sliders or something, give him a curveball that darts down and away, something. But I do love the fastball, the four-seam, two-seam slider changeup combo for Michael Arias. Really hyped about him. Think he's going to be a, like I said, the breakout prospect in uh, pitching-wise for the Cubs this year and excited about what he can do as he gets more comfortable with the pitching side of baseball because, again, he's only been pitching for three years. So excited about what he can do. He's looked really impressive. Tyler emailed us last week about Dario Laverde, catcher for the Angels. Uh, and he said he feels like he's similar to Edgar Cuero. And I think that's probably, that's a good stylistic comparison 
for Dario Laverde. 42 games in rookie ball this year, 303, 418, 455. One home run, 14 extra base hits, again in 42 games, 28 walks to 31 strikeouts, 7 of 9 on stolen bases. He is a left-handed hitting catcher, which you don't see a lot of. He still throws right, you don't worry, but he's a left-handed hitting catcher. It's a contact over power approach now, but he's got really great patience at the plate. And when he does get the power into it, it's really good gap-to-gap spray line drive power, right? Could grow into home runs. Don't quite know exactly what that's going to look like. But again, I like the patience. I like the gap-to-gap line drive ability. And then defensively, the arm is plus, but he's just kind of raw behind the plate. He was an outfielder that converted to catching. And so the athleticism does him good. He throws out plenty of base dealers because the arm is so good, but can still use finessing and, and fine-tuning on the mechanics, on the actual side-to-side, all of the actual, the technical aspects of catching could use some work there, but absolutely feels like a guy that can be a guy one day for the Angels. I like the idea. Would be a good counterpoint to Logan Ohapi if he makes it at the Major League level. Reminder, he's only in rookie ball this year, so you have a long way to go. There's still a lot of risk in that profile. And then Barry got this into us last week right as we recorded, so I couldn't fit it in last week's show, but he asked about Pedro Leone of the Houston Astros. 102 games in AAA this year after being signed as a 2020 IFA out of Cuba. So those guys are a little more advanced usually than somebody coming from Venezuela or the Dominican, something like that. But 102 games, 261, 344, 476. 20 home runs, 42 extra base hits, 43 walks to 131 strikeouts, and 14 and 19 on stolen bases. And uh, Barry asked if we would see him get a cup of coffee at the end of the year. I did a show last week about guys who might get called up between now and the end of the season, and that was looking at guys who could impact uh, divisional races. Again, if you missed it, I'll put the link in the show notes, or I'll drop it on the YouTube right here, so you can go back and watch that. But I don't know if Pedro Leone is going to get a cup of coffee this year simply because there are still some issues with his offensive profile, right? So, super toolsy, good walk numbers, good pitch recognition, but just not great contact-wise, right? 68.9% contact ability in AAA this year. In the zone, so it's zone, like pitches that are strikes, 82.7% zone contact. He chases over 30% of the time, 31.1%. His 90th percentile exit below is about 106 or so. Positionally, he gives you some versatility. He can play second base. He can play center field. He's got 46 games at second. 51 in center and six in right this year. But the reads, routes, and reactions in the outfield aren't great. So the arm is plus, the speed is plus, but defensively, he's not giving you a lot. Maybe he makes the roster as a 28th man for the postseason, for pinch running and things like that, because he is fast. But offensively, I just don't necessarily know that he's ready. Pulling some of the, the advanced stuff, he does most of his damage against fastball. Seven of his home runs come against fastballs. But even then, he's only making 69% contact against fastballs. He has good pitch recognition, but poor results against both curveballs and change-ups. Change-ups, swinging strike. He he does good at not chasing change-ups, 26% chase on a change-up, but swinging strike percentage of 19.6%. So he doesn't chase them out of the zone, but he doesn't hit them when they're thrown in the zone. Looking at curveballs, 
28.3% chase. Does a good job at not chasing a curveball. But in the zone for a curveball, 17% swinging strike, 57.9% contact. He just doesn't hit them. He does a good job at not chasing them, but he doesn't hit them. And then if you can throw a good cutter, you will destroy Pedro Leon. Look, looking at this here, he, just, he does not do great against cutters at all. 41% chase, 61% contact. So he just, you can destroy him with a cutter. So there's enough holes there where I think they'll use him in an emergency, but they'd rather him get a little bit better, more consistent at the plate before they bring him up. And then again, does have usefulness as a 28th man on the roster to pinch run and things like that. Fantastic week this week. Tons of stuff coming up. If you have questions for the mailbag, show ideas, want access to our rankings, things like that. Tons of ways to get all that stuff to us. Best ways, probably our subtext. Links in the episode description. Links in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leader.